when I'm a kid, eight-year-old kid playing Little League Baseball. And, um, you know, a ground rule double is a ball that's hit that bounces over the fence, automatically gets to second base. And that happened against our team. Before the game can continue, we have to find our left fielder and center fielder who have scaled the chain link fence in search of the baseball. So a few of us ran out there and we could see the ball. But over here were the left fielder and the center fielder and they were eating blackberries that were just growing there. And, and so we thought, we thought it was funny, you know, seven, eight year old kids, we think it's funny. My dad thought it was hilarious. Being a former big leaguer, he had never, he had never heard of a blackberry delay. And I never forgot that incident. And it's only when you get a little older and a little wiser and that it, it kind of became this modern day parable for me that sometimes you need to step away from the game to enjoy the blackberry moments. So black, you know, them eating blackberries, it just became, these became blackberry moments, these moments that are sweet, they're unpredictable, they're unscripted, and they make your life extraordinary. Happy Father's Day and welcome to Cross Point. So glad that you're with us and excited for today. We're going to do something a little bit different than a normal message. I want to invite you into a conversation with my friend Ernie Johnson. Um, EJ, as many know him, he's an award-winning broadcaster, sportscaster. You might know him from inside the NBA on TNT or, or maybe you've seen his work with, uh, with Major League Baseball or with, with golf. But what you may not know is the story behind that and who he is as a, as a dad, as a husband, as a father, and a grandfather, and a, and a man of a man of faith. And, and so today, I want to invite you into that story. And there's a scripture that comes to mind. It's in Psalm 103, verse 13. It says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And what I believe you'll see in Ernie's story today is his heart of compassion. His compassion as a father and um, the love and the grace that he demonstrates in his story as a, as a father. And, um, and so I, I believe that there's much that God wants to speak to us through that. And today, we really, we kick off our summer series, Storytellers, where we're going to be um, looking at the stories that Jesus told throughout Scripture, the parables and the Gospels, these stories that Jesus tells to communicate spiritual truths about who God is and, and who we are and what he has called us to do, how he's called us to live and, and the life that he has for us. So the, the series is going to be the parables of Jesus, but today we kick it off with Ernie, who is a, uh, a, a storyteller. As, as humans, we love stories. Like we just, we lean in with, with stories. One of my favorite short stories uh, it's from Hemingway. It's a story that he, he tells about a father who has a son in, in, in Madrid, in Spain, and and his son, they get into, a, get into an argument one night, and they both say things that they regret, and there's a sense of betrayal on both sides. And the father wakes up the next morning to go to the son, his teenage son's room, and he sees that the bed hasn't been slept in, and his son's not there, and there's a lump in his throat that won't go away. And he knows that his son has, has run away, and so the father does everything he can to, to search for his son, to try to find his son. And he looks all over, and for two months, he... He goes everywhere looking for his son, but he can't find him. And then there's this, this desperate move. The father goes to the, to the newspaper, the El Madrid, and he, he takes out a full-page ad in the newspaper that says, Paco, that's his son's name, Paco. All is forgiven. Meet me at the Hotel Montana 
at 12 noon on Thursday. Love, Papa. Puts it out in the paper. and Then on that Thursday, he shows up at the Hotel Montana and he rounds the corner to Hotel Montana. And there are 800 Pacos. Paco is a popular name in, in Madrid. There are 800 Pacos who are waiting for the Father. Why does that story move us? Why does it move us? Why does it resonate? Because we're all Pacos. We all long to be restored with our Heavenly Father. We long for the grace and for the reconciliation. And that's what Jesus came to bring. Jesus came that we would know our Heavenly Father, that we would know that there is reconciliation and that we have been forgiven and that God is not, he is not mad at you. He's not, he hasn't turned his back on you. He, he is in pursuit of you and he loves you. And that we would, my prayer is that today you would have an encounter with the love of God. That's why Jesus came. And so that we would be reconciled with the Father, that you would know forgiveness and grace that comes from him, that his, his heart is turned toward you. In this storyteller's series, I mean, it's appropriate that kicks off on Father's Day because Father's Day is oftentimes we gather together to, to celebrate and to, and to honor. And we sit around, sit around tables and we, we sit out around pools, maybe out at the lake. Um, maybe it's grilling out and we hear stories and dads tell stories and dads tell the same stories. Same jokes over and over. Maybe a Father's Day gift is just laughing like it's the first time you ever heard the story. And uh, that's just a way to show love to them. But we also realize on Father's Day that, that not everybody comes into an easy day. Maybe for you, there's some, there's some hurt and some pain attached. Maybe it's lost. Maybe you lost your, your father. And so there's, there's grief on a day like this. Or maybe there's some disappointment, some sadness, and some pain and hurt attached to experience you had the, with your earthly dad. My prayer is today that you would encounter the love of God and healing for your heart. And you would know that God is not just a bigger version of your earthly dad, that he is the perfection of everything that we've longed for in our fathers. He is a perfect heavenly father. And Jesus came that we would, that we would know him and that we, would, that we would encounter his love and be reconciled with him. There's this verse that ends the, the Old Testament. It's in Malachi chapter four, verse six, and it says, it's this, the, the final kind of, kind of word of the Old Testament is that God will turn, it says when Messiah comes, he will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. And that this is the, this is the heart of God, that there would be reconciliation, that reconciliation would happen. And so maybe today that there could be some forgiveness Maybe today that there would be some healing, that there would be some reconciliation. Another translation says he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. And that may not happen in our lifetime, but I tell you what can happen today is that you can be reconciled with God. That you can be reconciled with your heavenly father, that you can know his grace and his forgiveness and his love. And sometimes God uses earthly fathers to help us reimagine what a father can be. And I think that's what you'll see with Ernie's story. I've known Ernie for quite some time, and honestly, I've wanted to tell his story. I've wanted him to tell his story here for us for quite some time, for a couple years. And today on Father's Day, uh, seemed like the right day, right time, and right day. And so I want you to lean in with your heart, and I want you to lean in with how God would want to speak to you about who he is as a father, and how Ernie's story of those Blackberry moments would encourage us to look for those and also create those moments for others. So here you go, Aaron Johnson. 
Ernie? What? Come on. <laughs> Excited for today. I had to be able to sit down with you. Uh, we're in a series called Storytellers, and we're talking about um, talking about stories that Jesus Jesus told. And uh, we're starting that that series on on Father's Day, and just thinking about man, your story. I want to begin with uh, with a, a great storyteller. You're a great storyteller, but you're a, you're an even better dad. Um, I just know from, from being able to watch uh, you, your family, the way that uh, the way that you love, the kind of dad that you are, husband and father. Um, family. Um, so I, I'd love for us to set up this conversation on Father's Day and be able to talk some to hopefully encourage dads along the way. And um, but let's um, let's start start off by just telling us about you. Tell us about your family. I mean, I don't know where to start because if if we're talking about my family right now, you have to include the family that raised me. You know, because so, I think it's they're all intertwined, but. I grew up with this with this dream childhood if you are a sports fan or a baseball fan because in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, my dad playing for the Milwaukee Braves. So for as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a baseball player and then he was a broadcaster and I'm hanging out at the ballpark with him. It's one of these things where I almost took that dream, you know, to be a big league ball player. I, I, I went to the University of Georgia, walked on as a freshman. Go dogs. Yeah. And then was told to walk off as a sophomore. So I had that one <laughs> glorious year of college baseball. Um, you know, then you kind of, you know, what am I going to do? You know, and really being a broadcaster wasn't high on the list. I was going to be an English teacher and a baseball coach. And then I, I gave broadcasting a try and I, you know, it, we agreed with each other and so when I got to uh, my first TV job was anchoring the news in Macon Georgia and just so happens that uh, there was a woman working her way through uh, college at Mercer University named Cheryl DeLuca uh, eventually we would get married we would have two kids uh, Eric and Maggie and then we um, as I say we went unscripted after that because you know You've got everything the way you want it, or the way apparently you're, you're supposed to want it. Great wife, great job, a boy and a girl. Now, back away, mm. don't disrupt. This is what everybody wants. This is the all-American family. Um, now just don't rock the boat. And, uh, but my, my, you know, I married a real uh, boat rocker. <laughs> in Cheryl. So we adopted a little boy from Romania, adopted a little girl from Paraguay, later would adopt a couple of half-sisters out of foster care in uh, in Cleveland. Um, so that's the family, uh, the family of uh, six and uh, or six, you know, six kids and me and Cheryl. I always told folks that uh, it was a circus, but at least we got in free. <laughs> I mean, I, I came home from work one day, and Cheryl Ann was, uh, she greeted me at, as I walked in the den, kind of like, like something was weighing on her. And she says, you know what we need to do? And I was like, chicken or fish, whatever, <laughs> you, you know, whatever you want for dinner. She said, you know, <clears throat> I think we need to go to Romania and adopt a child. Wow. Because she had watched 
um, this 2020 special about, you know, right after the revolution over there and all these all these kids are being warehoused. These mm. orphans, especially if they had special needs, were just being put in these places and forgotten. And um, so, yeah, this is one of these things where really this is this is a this is a major leap if, mm. if we're going to do this. Mm. Um, but we met with some groups who had been there and done that, and uh, we decided, yeah, let's let's do this. I mean. The process took two months. Finding the child didn't take that long because they, she walked into this orphanage, and Cheryl and I had said, "Let's if we told the adoption agencies and the people who do in the home studies beforehand, a little girl under a year old, um, with no permanent handicaps." So the first child that that. Cheryl Ann sees is this little guy who's almost three years old, has one foot that's totally turned in, can't walk or talk, just makes noises, and um, and the person at the orphanage who hands this child to Cheryl says, don't take this boy, he's no good. And Kevin, I've told this story eight billion times. And it's that part always gets me. So um, so then Cheryl's sitting here holding this this little guy. And next thing I'm I call her, or she calls me anyway. It wasn't like today where everybody's got a phone all the time and you could you know sometimes it would go it would be days before I could get through to this number she had given me and so she explains um, I met a little boy um, and he's so much more than we can handle but I just don't know if I can go the rest of my life wondering what happened to him I said, bring him home. Yeah. So we're officially unscripted at that point, (laughs) okay? We are officially unscripted. Look, we knew there were issues. We didn't know exactly the extent of them. A lot of developmental delays and all that. And so, you know, we take them in for these evaluations and it's like, Hey, while you've got the hood up, let's check this and this and this and this, okay? And then in one of the tests, they noticed when he was walking, he, was, he had this kind of a waddling gait. And so they give him a muscle biopsy and they come back and they say he's got muscular dystrophy mm. and uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy mm. and there's no cure for it. Okay, okay, there's no cure, but how long? You know, maybe, and, and they say, well, with Duchenne, a lot of kids don't get out of their teens. You know what was what was what was strange about that time, Kevin, is the is we had friends who were saying, "Well, I guess if you'd known that, you wouldn't have wouldn't have adopted." Mm. And we were like, "No, you you don't get it." I mean, I I know where you're coming from with the question, but you don't get it because there's no guarantee with our biological children <clears throat> that. 
one day will bring some something catastrophic that changes your entire world and it's not like you said I knew we shouldn't have had him mm. knew we shouldn't have had her no no we had this was our this was our son yeah this was our third child no matter what the circumstances are of where he was born or the, the fact that he was left in a park in Bucharest when he was born none of that none of that matters he's ours he's our he's our child and so no we never for a second thought we shouldn't have done this now it was okay now how are we gonna how are we gonna deal with this oh the experience of meeting Michael Johnson is um, I'm not sure you can describe it as epic but it's epic so I was busy um, had a list of things as a head coach and a teacher wanted to get finished hustling down the hall and um, saw a group of special needs kids and um, turned and walked to him and introduced myself and said hi to him and we just exchanged some pleasantries and as I turned to walk away I hear this this voice that says uh, love you too coach Bowlear thinking like whoa and that just grabbed me and I turned around and walked back into that and nothing is ever the same at this point um, Michael is in his teens uh, confined to a wheelchair um, because of the muscular dystrophy. And he gets off the bus at our house one day. The bus drops him off. And in his backpack, there is a note from the basketball coach at Mill Creek High School. And I wrote a letter to Ernie and Cheryl, um, Michael's parents, and said, like, I would love to have Michael somehow be a part of our team. And I remember as, as I met Phil Bolier, the coach, for the first time, you know, and Michael's there with me, I was like, you realize this chair is not a prop. You know, he's not going to really help your team. Mm. Um, this is not for show. He's, this is, you know, I know, I know. He says, but I want him to be my five-foot-tall impact player with no vertical leap. <laughs> A sports term I had never heard in my life. <laughs> For someone to say, love you too, Coach Bolier, on the first meeting, and say it from the heart, um, it was obvious that uh, there was something special about that. And what caught me, I think, was that that's exactly what we wanted to bring to our program, to the school, to the community, um, is that concept. You know, we love the competitiveness, but when you talk about love you too, that's a rock to stand on. And that's what kind of got him thinking, if I could have Michael Johnson on my team mm. to teach maximum effort, because, you know, any strength he had, he was, you know, it took everything he had to do what he did. And a heart for others with this love you too, he said, I, I want him to teach that to my team. You know, the great thing about Michael is um, he did not care about basketball at all. He didn't have one interest in it, but what he brought to the locker room helped our basketball team a lot. So after we do our little pregame, we'd slide together around Michael in his wheelchair and put all of our hands together. And he would say, maximum effort, heart for others, and one, two, three, Hawks. And we would turn and put a basketball in his lap, and he would drive his wheelchair around the corner, and Michael would lead us out into the Mill Creek gym for a varsity game. And as, as as Phil put it, 
he's looking at these high school students and saying, y'all use a lot of sign language in the halls, don't you? <laughs> Most of it's one finger. <laughs> right. And they're like, yeah. yeah. He said, well, try this on. Yeah. So he, he throws this at him. This is, I love you in sign language. You know, it's, I love, you know, it's, here's the L. It's, here's, I love you. And, and if you, and you got it. Yeah. And if you tip the index finger at the other person, it means love you too. And so the love you too sign became something that we would see down the halls at basketball games. And when Michael would pass them, you would hear, love you too, Michael Johnson. See, this is a guy who gets the Blackberry moment. Because he's stepping away from the game. Yeah. Come on. For something that's special. Something that's because he wasn't so focused on this, he didn't miss this and this. Yes. He said, here's a here's a special needs kid that I can incorporate into this basketball team to teach them. And um see that's what we need. Mm. You need folks who are gonna step away from the next business meeting mm. or the next conference call or the next, you know, and look up from the phone and look around. Hmm. So I think when you hear love you too, the impact on me was yes, do that, practice that. He says it, but he really means it. So when Michael Johnson says love you too, he meant it. So when I say love you too, I need to mean that. So he does this for three years or so. Michael's, Michael turns a senior, and they have senior night out here, and everybody gets these nice blankets and say, Milk Creek, you know, it's embroidered, got their name, got their number, got the, yeah, they're nice. So here we are, it's senior night, and, and they call him out, and they put the blanket on his lap, and people are clapping, and I look up in the student section, hmm. and they're standing like this. Hmm. Johnson with Charles Barkley, Kenny the Jet Smith, and Shaquille O'Neal. Great to be back with y'all this yes, week. Yes, sir. We're glad to have you back, Godfather. And, um, and let me say something, too, and just get this out of the way, because um, it's been a rough 10 days or so. And um, I listened to what y'all said last week, too, and Kenny, and you said it's time for me to lean on you, and my family did exactly that, uh, leaning on Turner family, friends, our faith, um, because we lost uh, our son Michael um, on October 29th. And um, so to all of you out there, let me just say thank you um, uh, for all the, the texts, the phone calls, um, to all of you who used social media in the kindest and most compassionate way possible. Um, it's just overwhelming for our family. So thank you so much for that. Um, and we're going to make it, and we are carrying on, and we know that uh, Michael's in better hands than ours right now. You know, after Cheryl and I came to faith late in life, and we were able to look back and trace God's hand into where we were in Romania and Paraguay and other places, it's like only, only God takes it. A Romanian orphan. Mm. And a basketball coach from Indiana who came down here to this new school. He goes from basketball country to football country right. to coach high school basketball. Only God puts that coach mm. and this orphan mm. in this gym 
in Brazelton, Georgia, of all places, and teaches a high school about love. Yeah, it, it, was, it was an amazing time. That's, and that's a black, see, that's the Blackberry moment. Right. That's, that's the Blackberry moment when you're saying, okay, you're raising a kid who has a disease that's not going to get better. Mm. And you don't know how long he's going to be around. So where are the Blackberry moments? Mm. They're right there. Yes. When somebody looks and says, hey, I got a role for you. I need you to be, I need you on my team. And, and that's the way our family has, our family has talked about these forever. Yeah. You know, we're always talking about, man, this, this is a Blackberry day. Yeah because this happened and because this happened. And, and so Blackberry moments kind of are like what, what fuel us and not just things that happen to us, but times that we can provide those Blackberry moments for other folks. Sometimes it's a look, sometimes it's a hello. Sometimes it's, a, it's paying attention to somebody at work rather than just giving the cursory, how you doing? Oh, good. Yeah. Maybe it's the genuine, how are you? And, and so, and you're totally prepared when they say, I'm struggling right now. And you say, well, let's talk. Let's talk. Yep. I'm making the time. Yeah. I mean, so, that's, those, so those are Blackberry moments. So as a dad, when you've got all the pressure, um, do you have anything that helps you at, at, at home to see those moments with the, you know, especially when the kids were little and mm -hmm. even now with grandkids? Um, yeah. Is it easier to see the Blackberry moments? Is it easier to... No, I mean, you know what? I think you, you have to be intentional because the biggest question I ever get from anybody, and I'm sure you've, got, you've gotten it in your, in your line of work too, is how do I balance this? How do I balance home and work? Because I got to go to work. I'm the guy, you know, I've got, I've got to do this. I got to be there for this. And, I, and all I can say is, I, man, I've traveled that road. Mm. I was there too. Yeah. And I think we all are, especially when we're younger and we're trying to cut our path and we're trying to let the guys who are making the decisions, the guys who are running the business know how much we care. Mm. And, oh yeah, I'm here for you all the time. I don't, you know, even when the circumstances are like that, there are times when you can be intentional about saying, I will make time on this day for my wife or I will make time on this day for my kids to do this, even in the midst of the busyness, where it's like, for a long time, that would be my fallback. Can you do this? No, I gotta work that day. Never looking deeply enough into that day to say, you know what? From one to 1.30, I could do this, and it'll mean the world to her. Mm. Or, like, I, I mean, I remember going to the Atlanta Zoo one day when my daughter Carmen was down there on a field trip and I had kind of wanted to be like one of the parents on the field trip and I, then I couldn't go, I had to work. And I remember looking at my watch and I said, you know what? In 45 minutes, I could get down there, get back to work and not miss anything here. And I still have the snapshot hmm. in my office hmm. of her going, wow. because somebody had taken a picture just as I had gotten there. And it's being intentional.
I mean, and I didn't take you chapter and verse through Michael's life that eventually he'd need a ventilator and in the last 10 years of his life, he was on a ventilator. Couldn't do anything on his own. You know, we had to do everything for him. Which was actually like one of the best things that could have happened to me. Mm. Because you woke up every day knowing you're going to serve. You never woke up saying, what's somebody going to do for me today? It was like you woke up and said, how? Okay, let's take care of Michael. Let's serve him. Let's shave him. Let's shower him. Let's take him to the bathroom. Let's do this. Let's everything. He needed everything done. And it wasn't drudgery. We got to do that. Hmm. Because he took my wife to Bucharest Hmm. to the door of this orphanage and brought this boy out and said, this is, let's not get this twisted, Ernie and Cheryl. This is my kid. This is my boy, Michael. I'm entrusting him to you. So in those days when he's on a ventilator and like, we get to do this. Mm. We get to care for this kid. We get to serve this kid. And And I think going through that is not unlike, we we all have things that we deal with. I've had cancer twice, you know? But what I've learned, and my, my friend, Pastor Kevin Myers helped me with this, is that when I wanted to shake my fist at God for, because I had cancer, he was like, Put your faith in Jesus back in 1997, right? Now it's 2003. And he said, so what's that trust look like right now? Mm. I said, it's, it's kind of shaky because I'm, I'm saying, hey, look what we're doing with our lives. Look at, we're do, look at the adoptions. Look at this. And now this cancer. And it's like, he said, so, so your trust looks like trust God if mm. or I'll trust God when. Like, okay, God, I'll trust you if this next test comes back and and looks good, or I'll trust you when I'm done with this round of chemo, or I'll trust you when... And it's like, no, it's trust God, period. Not trust God, comma. Not trust God, if. Trust God, period. Because he's taken me someplace that I couldn't understand. Mm. And, 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 and he's got a script, but for me, it's unscripted. But... It, but because if I had written it, it wouldn't have, it certainly wouldn't include cancer. It wouldn't include muscular dystrophy for this kid from Romania. Mm. But he's taken me somewhere and he's taking our family somewhere through these situations. Yeah. And so that's where, that's where I found solace and comfort. And I will trust God, yeah. period. Because he's taking me someplace I need to be. He's forming me into the man I need to be, into the father I need to be. And I'm good with that. 
And I just, I want to thank you for, for sharing your heart and sharing Michael's story with us, sharing your story as a dad. And my, my hope that from today, um, people would, uh, would be willing to go off script and, uh, and follow the prompts and the leading of the Holy Spirit. That what I'm taking from you today is that people would, and my hope is that people would be able to see those Blackberry moments and to just slow down and see how sweet it is. And that, um, and that no matter what is going on in life, that we'd be able to just trust God, period. That's what Provide those moments yeah. because it's cool when they happen to you, but it's even cooler when you can provide that for somebody just by just by being present, just by proving that they have value. Mm. You know, it's just, the world's too crazy these days, Kevin. Mm. It's too much of this, far, we need so much more of this rather than this. And yeah, a lot of that. A lot of that. A lot of that. Thank you, Ernie. Love you, brother. Thank you.